This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, Tom, James and Trev will be slipping through the cracks in my DVD collection as we look at six classic stories that I've yet to see. Indeed, welcome to episode 151 of the Doctor Who podcast, and this episode is all about Leeson. Thank God, at last. <laughs> you've been here six months now, and you've been waiting for this episode, haven't you, Leeson? Okay, over to you. <laughs> and I, just as I thought, nothing really. <laughs> Seriously, all four of us are here today. Hello, Tom. Hello, Trev. Hello. Hello. And we are going to be discussing a number of different stories that Leeson has yet to see. So Leeson doesn't quite rank up there on the nerd scale along with Tom, Trev and I because uh, we've seen all available classic Doctor Who. So we thought it would be a good time to take just a few. Yeah. And Leeson, all I can say is I, I can't believe how well you must have bluffed through your audition. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. I'm confessing to, to you all that there are indeed. And it's probably quite a large gap in, in my Doctor Who collection, uh, mostly consisting of the Pertwee era, as we've discussed before. Uh, and it was actually quite uh, it was quite an emotional uh, process of putting this list together. And so finally, I, I quantified it and I, and I could see how many I'd got left to see. Uh, it, it's a bit like, you know, when you get to the end of a good book, uh, I'm, a, I'm a slow downer. I, I slow down because I want to, it, to eke it out. Some people speed up. So this is exactly what I've done with, uh, with Doctor Who in the classic serial. I don't go out on payday and, and blow my wages on four or five. Uh, you know, one or two every couple of months to, to eke out the enjoyment because it'll be a sad day when finally I have consumed all of classic Who. It is. It's, it's quite a moment when you see your your last classic episode for the first time and we, we had some feedback sent to us a little while ago I think Trevor and I spoke about it and it really brought back some memories of, of when I saw the very last story for me and that was before the very first DVD was released so it's been a very very long time since I've uh, since I've been in your position Lisa and I'm quite envious really <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm gonna eke it out for as long as I possibly can mm-hmm how about you two Trev Tom when was the last time you saw your final classic episode or can you even remember Oh, gee. Well, I mean, if you don't count lost episodes, um, which are discovered and we get the joy of seeing them, like, you know, the the Crusade episode that, that was found a few years ago, et cetera, et cetera. Probably the last new classic who I saw was um, 1996, perhaps, <laughs> when I saw the telly movie. <laughs> well, does that count as classic who? Oh, canon question. Yes, it does. <laughs> M- move on. Um, the la- I, I, I had a bit of a blind spot for season 14, so I hadn't really seen things like Planet of Evil and, and Mask of the Mandragora um, although I'd, I'd experienced them I hadn't really watched them properly so that so that, that was fun and that was really only about two years ago but I remember the, the last thing I saw which I thought I really should have seen was about four years ago when I finally watched the War Games um, and I, I, it's one of those things I thought well I'll just watch 
one episode and come get round to it. I've I've made it this far without watching the whole thing. Uh, and God, I think five hours later, I was still in the chair going, "This is amazing!" So, so yeah, it, it, it's actually quite, it's actually relatively recent, and I've st- I still haven't seen things like Mind of Evil, um, which I think is uh, on Leeson's list as well. But I. But no, I, 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 I'll be honest. Because I'm so childish, and I, and I have um, uh, the memory of a goldfish, I, I, could, I could still watch bits of season five and think, "This is great. I haven't seen this before." <laughs> yeah. but, but, but the thing, Doctor Who's got a lot of layers to it. So for me, it's possible to watch a show and still get something out of it. And it's it, it's lovely when something is has been at the back of my memory, and I'm having to rediscover it. I mean, recently I sat down and watched um, Image of the Fendal, and I, I there's bits of it I just had I'd completely forgotten. So yeah, so so it, I was, I'm still able to. <laughs> Because of my encroaching Alzheimer's, I'm still still able to uh, enjoy things I've seen before. The way we're going to approach this episode is that Trev, Tom and I, we've selected from Leeson's list of Unseen Classic Who, six stories. Now we're going to take one each, so there's going to be two rounds. We're all going to go first and we're going to try and convince Leeson of the merits of each story now i mean this this is really just a framework so that we can talk about lots of different doctor who stories in the same podcast but at the same time at the end of it hopefully leeson you'll have a choice of a couple of stories to watch next that's right it's going to be like who's got talent or or, uh, the w factor Uh, i'm going to pick two to go through to the next round yes indeed you are simon cowell oh thank you very much i i I would actually say that I, i am spoiler wise uh, I want you to be very, very careful about plot points that you reveal, <laughs> because uh, I, 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 I don't read the back of books before I read them, just to give you an idea of, of how I like to uh, to approach things. So, I mean, I don't mind knowing what uh, what enemies are in it, uh, things like that. But you, I, you guys will be sensitive, I'm sure, to my uh, to my needs. But um, yeah, don't go blowing the big reveal of the Santarans in episode five. Okay, so at least we'll have our own very special spoiler warning just for you on stories and TV episodes that were made. Nearly 50 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be fun, guys. Okay, Tom, let's get started. Which one are you going to select from Leeson's list to start with? From season two, February 1965, I am picking the much underrated The Web Planet. Leeson, you've got to see this. There there are a number of of, of iconic moments in this particular serial. Um, People will always talk about the moment where the Zabi runs into the camera. Um, They'll talk about the fact that you can hear some of the special effects. You, You can hear hear um, uh, Jacqueline Hill laughing as Ian is covered in a rock fall at the beginning of episode four. Um, but what you've got to what, what we've got to take to look at here is this is one of the one of the moments where Doctor Who actually gives birth to itself. This is the moment where um, there is no one in the cast and crew who is human or humanoid. So suddenly the effects have tried to take over. Maybe thirty years before they could re- they could really credibly do so. This is the type. This is the story in which the Doctor becomes the universal know-it-all. He's never really been uh, to the Web Planet before, but he knows about the Zarbi and he knows about the Monoptera. Um, this is the this is this is the story which whose whose reach is under sold by its grasp unfortunately but there's some, some wonderful ideas here this is this this is the story which is entirely studio bound but where the director i think it's richard martin tries his best to make this televised theater it is very closed in it is very unusual it is well a little bit strange it, you know it can be argued that it's a, that it's a communist fable uh, in terms of the way that the zabi are represented as being the uh, unthinking drones of the animus but at the same time, you know, Doctor Who's never shirked away from that. Think of stories like The Mutants, which I think is another one on your list. Um, think of some of the, some of the other uh, t- uh, 
kind of plain allegory stories. Even the Green Death falls into that. Um, it, it, it's an interest. It's an interesting time to watch the cast, uh, the lead cast, try to work with uh, working with the idea that they don't actually have Susan Foreman in their market anymore. Caroline Ford has gone, and you can see the beginnings of the breakdown of, of that first TARDIS crew, which necessitates the development of the Doctor. So. There's plenty of bad things that can be said about it. It's easy to say nasty, negative things about things that you know it doesn't require any thought. But this is a great story to see if you want to if you want to get a feel for Doctor Who trying to flex its muscles and become the the, the series that we know and love and enjoy today. Well, this is this is a serious contender for um, for my choice because I have a very very soft spot for, for for William Hartnell. I came to William Hartnell when I was very young, young enough to see past the uh, the rickety sets and the set bound planets and the bits of tape on the floor. You were at an age where you could. You could look through all that uh, and allow your eyes to be fooled and enjoy it. So, and I can still almost do that uh, when I when I come to Hartnell. And I also kind of like coming to stories that have a terrible reputation, because as, as has been said before, and I think I've said uh, before on on the show that because your expectations have been lowered so far. You can only be impressed. It's almost easier coming to a show that has a, uh, an episode that has a bad reputation than it is coming to something which has a very grand reputation, like Genesis of the Daleks. So, okay, well, so clearly, what's happened there is you, you seem convinced. That's wonderful. Okay, move, um, so you're clearly going to pick the web planet. I'm not sure what the other two have to have to offer you, but it'll be pants. First, I want to ask you a question, Leeson. What is your favourite Hartnell story? My favourite Hartnell story. Mm. Um. Serial, complete serial, uh, singular episode would be uh, Unearthly Child. But I, I don't rate the rest of that serial too highly. Although there's, there are some uh, excellent bits to it and, and I, I do rewatch it uh, once a year. I would have to say it's either um, The Time Meddler or The Daleks. Interesting, interesting. Actually, it really didn't matter which ones you actually enjoyed the most because I think Keys of Baroness is one of those fantastic stories um, that has something for everyone. It's a quest story. It has the Doctor and crew having to recover these keys that are part of this great uh, machine on the planet of Marinus and, and to help restore order and balance to this particular planet. And the great thing about this is each episode is its own little mini quest as they travel around the planet uh, searching for these uh, hidden lost keys so it gives this particular story an opportunity to try lots of different styles we have a very day of the triffids type feel with the screaming jungle we have a a sherlock holmes type of thing going on at the end of the story where the doctor um you know basically has has to go on trial uh there, there are lots of little wonderful things in this story there is really something in the keys of mariners for everyone and talking about hartdale himself I, I don't think he was ever any better in this entire season especially when he has that um episode at the end of Keys of Marinus where he has to uh, take part in the trial. He is absolutely mesmerising. He is in his element. He's he's loving it. So, yeah, I, I think Keys of Marinus, just for that alone, because it's got something that will appeal to every Doctor Who fan, um, that it's, it's just a nice little rollicking adventure. Well, another strong contender for all the same reasons, for because uh, I'm very partial to uh, to a bit of Hartnell, uh, and I love it when he's on form, when he's firing, when he's 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 testy and and mysterious and and angry and and, and slightly doddering. Oh, yeah, there's something wonderful about the first Doctor for those reasons. Also, this this what's that deathless line? If only you'd seen the the shoes, you could have given her hers. 
something along those lines. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's all sorts of little bits which uh, which his brain seemed to create rather than the writers, uh, and you know, they, you know they seem to work. Because when I was a child, I didn't know that you know that it was vascular dementia that he was he was struggling to remember the lines. I th- you I, I bought into that that was part of the character that he was a bit forgetful that he was a bit um, you know that he was a bit all over the shop, uh, and and that that added to the character when I was a kid. No, I, I agree. I I, I really like the way that uh, the Billy Fluffs are as I think they've been terms now. Um, I, I think if you can see, if you can watch these programmes and watch the stories through that prism or through that filter, rather than just knowing the actor is is steadily becoming more and more unwell, then I, I think it does add something to, to those to those stories, yeah. Particularly in the, in those early scenes with Ian and Barbara, where um, the, the crew, were, the cast were working together to sort of um, to sort of get round his, uh, his fluffs, and they, they were quite good and forgiving at... at uh, running with them and getting getting things back on track. No, I, I think there are times when I'm completely confused, and I think you know you, you, you're watching basically live television. You're you're watching poor William Russell sitting there thinking, "What has he just said? He's my, I've missed my cue, or Billy has said something he shouldn't have done." And and that, yet they will recover. I would say ninety percent of the times, really, really well. But that that's something, of course, that is lost significantly. I think. Um, well, I mean, you had a little bit of impro, I think, within the. Patrick Troutson years, but certainly not so much within uh, John Pertwee's era. In fact, he hated not knowing uh, what line was coming next, and I think that would have completely thrown his performance. Yeah. I think there's something for me that makes me a little bit more forgiving of the Billy Fluffs. Not not so much that um, I, I never really thought it was part of his character, but I thought that because it was television made in a very primitive age, where like you say, James, you're essentially recording live. Whatever you're recording, there's very few edits done before it then gets transmitted for everyone to see. So when you see stuff like that, you see the effect of the era. You you see the time that these stories were made, and, and that's what makes me more forgiving about mm. William Hartnell's uh Slight fluffs in various episodes, not 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 so much that they were trying to fool people to think it was part of his oh, yeah. character. I wouldn't even say that it's um, it makes me feel more forgiving. It, it makes me feel more. Oh, it makes me feel more warm about that particular era. I quite like it. You know, I think I enjoy it more because they're there. Well, it adds, a, adds an extra layer of tension. I mean, the difference between watching a film and going to watch a play is that when you watch a play, almost anything can happen. You're watching it take place and evolve in front of you. And as you said, Doctor Who in those days was televised theatre, which and it, it retains that sort of um, that tension because anything could happen. It must have been so stressful. Mm, mm. But but I, th- I think certainly talking about the story Trevor was uh, was waxing lyrical about. I mean, I've got to agree with a lot of what he says. Actually, the Keys of Marinus is a, a a really good story there's there's a few six parters in the first doctor's era where they make a distinct effort to make each episode feel very very different from the preceding one and they usually do that in the form of a quest and the chase is the other one that springs to mind and it, it's a real experience watching these stories because doctor who really was never made like that ever again until perhaps you could argue Stephen moffat got his hands on the uh, on the control tiller and um, he started doing his two-parters as very distinct stories uh, but certainly keys of marinus um you're basically presented with a new quest each episode. And the fact that it's six episodes didn't have any real bearing on me, despite the fact I watched them one after the other, because it really did feel 
fresh and new every time I started up a new episode. And remember too, at the time, Keys of Marinus wasn't known as the Keys of Marinus. We were still in an era where there were no story titles. There were only individual episode titles. So if you were watching this when it was broadcast, you had no idea that they were on a six-episode quest. It was just a week-in, week-out thing. And, you know, it may have ended this week. It may have ended in 10 weeks' time. Oh, even more so, bearing in mind, I think this was the fourth ever story fourth or fifth ever story so you, you all you saw was you know the sea of death or the velvet web and uh, mm. you know or in the um, the web planets um, uh, case the crater of needles which of course will remind tom of his favorite forum but i suppose i'd better throw my um, my pennies worth into this conversation as well and uh, whilst i wouldn't discourage you leeson from from watching the keys of marinus um, I, I i think i might have a slightly different opinion on the web planet um tom opened up his um his intro saying you've got to see it and i agree with him you have got to see it because Doctor Who has never been so bad. It, it's no surprise to listeners to know I don't like the Web Planet purely because it was my least favourite first Doctor story um, when we went through our least favourite stories a couple of podcasts ago. But I, 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 the one I want to choose and the one I would recommend, and this is one of the very few first Doctor stories that I would recommend to a brand new fan of Doctor Who, not someone who knows it as well as you, Leeson, and that's The Rescue. It's one of only two two-part stories in the first Doctor era. Dennis Spooner brought something to Doctor Who that was, was very new, and that was to really bring the humour to the surface, uh, while still trying to maintain the believability of, of a fundamentally amazing, fantastic programme. And I think it really works. In this story, for me, it, it, it's a bit of a whodunit. The TARDIS team arrive on a, a fairly good alien planet, considering the time it was made in certainly streets ahead of what they used in the web planet and the action just starts a heck of a lot quicker um and of course it's also vicky's first story as well so you've got a fairly pivotal story here um because the tardis dynamic changes uh following the loss of um of susan in a previous story and this this is a run this is the middle story if you like of a really strong run of first doctor stories it, it was preceded by the dalek invasion of earth and the romans is directly afterwards and there's a different kind of comfortable feel to this tardis crew it's it's a mile apart or a mile away from the early first doctor stories where you weren't quite sure even who who was who was the hero of this program was the doctor an anti-hero even uh, by this point the characters have settled down they knew what they were going to be doing with Moran O'Brien's character and it's just a really really good short story and i even like Coquillian's outfit it's a, it's a bit of a comedy outfit but um you know it, it's believable too so my my recommendation would be that you would uh, you would get into the first doctor era or the ones that you haven't seen by choosing the rescue well an excellent pitch there james and uh, i'm tempted on on two for two reasons uh, that i quite like the idea this is the first companion change and it'd be quite nice to see how that that was handled well if if i also may suggest um my story the keys of marinus i mean i i find it perplexing that the whole purpose of this is to get you to watch doctor who you haven't watched now unless you're going to do the two entertain model and basically say well i've got to chuck in a couple of dud ones before we get to the good ones so we don't have all the dud ones at the end then let's do that but if you really want to watch something that you're going to enjoy rather than a couple of well in 
the case of the two we've mentioned, one total dud, and one story that has its uh, positives lauded by saying, well, it's short and it's solid, um, I, I think I'd rather go for Keys of Maris, to be perfectly honest, because it's an enjoyable story. And, you know, it, it, it isn't burdened with this apparent um, negative of uh, being six well, episodes. to be honest with you, if, you, if you're interested in seeing what the, the, the first companion change going on, I'd refer you back to my story, The Web Planet. There's no playing about trying to establish a character at that, at that point. What you've got is Vicky settling into the team. She's still essentially being treated like Susan, but she's forging her own personality quite nicely. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to raise to the bait of arguing with Trevor because The Keys of Mariners is a very good story and you could do a lot worse, I think, than choosing that one. But The Rescue has got a lot more for it than just being short. It, it's a very different kind of First Doctor story. It, as I said, it's got that comedy element that I don't really think was seen again within the First Doctor era. I mean, it was expanded upon significantly within the Romans, um, although that had an element of tragedy in it as well, where Whereas the rescue doesn't really have that, but it's it's a sci-fi. It's a 1960s sci-fi story. It happens to be Doctor Who. It's got a couple of pivotal moments in it that I think probably probably edges it above Keys of Marinus. Listen, I can I can make this very easy for you. If you want to watch a com- some comedy Doctor Who, then fair play. If you want to watch a schizophrenic story that doesn't know what it is from one episode to the next, fine. If, on the other hand, you would like to see truly imaginative, truly magnificent, truly innovative Doctor Who, then of course it can only be The Web Planet. Leeson, I think you've, you've had three cases put to you now. It, it's time to stop sitting on the fence. Are you going to announce your decision now, or are you going to leave it until the end of the podcast? I will announce uh, the decision now. Now, the web panel tempted me. Uh, I like the idea of Vaseline on the lens. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea of... of <laughs> I, I like the idea of, of, of the innovation uh, of, of this episode, but I think, I think I'll have to... I have to turn this one down and watch that a little later in my run. Now, Keys of Marinus and the Rescue. I'm tempted by by Corquillian's outfit. I'd quite like to see why that's so spectacular. But I like to get my teeth stuck into a into a Hartnell era story. I like I like a long story. I like I like the pace of it unfolding Ooh. bit by bit. And quite like I quite like the chase uh, for its sort of chop up different quests each week and, and the absurdness of it. So I'm. I'm going to go with uh, Terry Nation's Keys of Marinus. Thank you. Thank you, Leeson. It, 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 it's not a bad story. In all fairness, none of those three are really... Well, actually, no, I, I can't say that. I can't say it. I just can't. The Web Planet is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that at all, you liar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's let's move on to round two. And uh, Trevor, do you want to start this one as, uh, as as you were the most convincing of the three of us last time? Well, yeah. Well, I suppose as Victor go the spoils, so I I get to stick my neck out there. We we rocketed forward into the John Pertwee era now because uh, there's there's quite a few stories in here that uh, Leeson hasn't seen. Now, my choice, um, it, it was kind of difficult because, uh, you know, without giving away the titles of the other stories that are in Leeson's not seen list. I really couldn't find I could wax lyrical about them, but I came across this one and went, yes, there's lots of things I can say about this. The Mind of Evil, 
the uh, second story from uh, season eight, the master season, where where the master appeared in every single story that season. Now, the one thing I love about the Mind of Evil, I think it's a true story for a true Doctor Who fan, not a not a not a first time fan, not someone who you want to introduce the show to. I think it's a fantastic story for anyone who's seen a a, a wide range of stories already. Now, the reasons for that are. I think The Mind of Evil is the first unit story where we really finally get the crystallisation of the unit family. Everyone is finally in their place. We have Mike Yates doing the sort of semi-action role. We have Benton basically standing in the background answering the telephone and serving tea, which is where he spent the rest of the Pertwee era. Um, We have uh, the Brigadier, I suppose, becoming a little bit less of an action man and taking up his more customary role of um, ordering around, you you know, sitting behind a desk and ringing Geneva and stuff like that and or and 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 taking more of an overall view i i also think the roger delgado master we see a lot of things in this story between uh the the master and the doctor which are hallmarks of the pertwee era i think from memory this is the first story where the master basically says i need your help to bring the monster that i've created under control again which he does with the uh monster during this story um Mind of Evil, I think, is the first master story where you can really see him as a really, I suppose, almost moustache-twirling, sneering, gloating master. He has a plot that is that is worthy of his um, genius, I suppose. He, he basically has two or three master schemes going on at the same time in this story, all running in tandem with each other. It's it's a really good story, I think, because you can watch it if you've seen a lot of other unit stories from further on or even the stuff from Season 7. You can watch Mind of Evil and go, ah, that's where a lot of these things really took shape and uh, then formed the basis for a lot of the Pertwee era, as as far as unit's concerned, anyway. Mm. Well, so the Pertwee era is, well, I'm relatively, I'm a relatively new convert to, to Pertwee as, as, a, as a doctor, uh, for some reason, never quite like you, Tom. I've heard you, you discuss this, and I my my views uh, chime with you on this. That um, I didn't quite get what he was about. I, I I didn't. I'm not sure whether I liked the earthbound nature of it. Um, uh, there was something that, that that didn't work, and it was after my son was born, so nine nine months ago. Uh, I'd recently had a birthday, and uh, a lot of DV, uh, my family by me almost exclusively Doctor Who related things um, <laughs> I've, I've, try, I've tried to cut down on the Daleks uh, and, and the general uh, you know the Cybermen um, although I am pushing for a, for a a, a full-size 80s cyber head in a Perspex case, but you know, whether that will turn up next birthday, I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> So I, I mainly get DVDs. Uh, so I, they have they have the list of, uh, of the DVDs that I don't have. Uh, and I got a lot of Pertwee. Um, so uh, while we were, were completely shattered after the, the trauma of having a child, we watched lots and lots of Pertwee. And I started at the beginning. Uh, I had seen Spearhead from Space, but we started back with a new cleaned-up version. And I finally began to, to understand and really quite like the third Doctor for He's, he puts someone down, you know, the, the pompous officials, and uh, he's very, very good at, at putting them in their place, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, so I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I also like Delgado's master, I think, uh, will never, ever be topped. Uh, he was terrifying because he was just so suave and calm and in control. There was, there was very little ranting and raving. There may, may have been a little bit later on, but certainly when he first appeared... Uh, the reason he was so terrifying was because he was just so in control 
and possibly cleverer than the Doctor. I will have to talk you out of it slightly, though, Leeson, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you, you, you do talk about <laughs> curling up with a DVD. Mind of Evil isn't on DVD at the moment yet. It, I, no, I think it's planned for next year or the year after, I believe. It's, it's, it's one of the last. Now, the reason for that, basically, is because Mind of Evil doesn't exist in colour at the moment. I think there's a few shots in episode six which... Uh, are in colour for whatever reason, but it's a black and white story. And and one thing I forgot to mention was I think because it's in black and white, it really adds to the character. It 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 makes it a wonderfully rich textured story, seeing it in black and white and, and having unit involved. I mean you can almost close your eyes and you know, maybe think it comes from the uh, Troughton era. It, it, I, I think it actually benefits by not having a colour oh, print. I, I've heard this kind of argument before, and I just don't understand why people don't watch the third Doctor era and adjust their television and put it into black and white, if it really is that reminiscent of Troughton. <laughs> it doesn't look the same, James. I, I've tried it. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't work, because a black and white is all to do with the, the, the lighting. You, you light black and white yes. different to how you light colour. So and, yeah, just... and the film stock that it's filmed on and stuff like that, it's, it's all in that. I mean, it's different mm. to just turning down the colour balance it makes no difference whatsoever to colour me. print it makes none at all but I <laughs> otherwise you could do that with Warriors from the Deep couldn't well, you well I just turn that one off <laughs> just turn the, turn the brightness down <laughs> but, uh, it, it's interesting I mean I I, I I think I'm pretty much convinced by, by Trevor and I'm not even sure if I really want to <laughs> offer an alternative because I've been talked out of your own well, not, choice. Not really. It's just that I agree with everything that Trevor says and uh, I, I think that season, season eight, is is extremely strong and it's mainly because of the relationship and the dynamic created between the Doctor and this, this new character at the time, the Master. And I think it's almost in every story there is an alliance of some kind formed uh, by the Doctor and the, the Master. And I, I just love seeing a Doctor work in a relationship that he doesn't want to be in. And I, I just think this is probably one of the best things the production team did to Doctor Who. And it was just, it's such a, such a shame that they didn't get to round it off the way they wanted to, even if they did have a couple of pantomime stories a little bit later on. You know, I mean, and I, it just... You know, watching anything from season eight really makes me feel what a loss Roger Delgado was to to this institution that is Doctor Who. Well, hang on, I'm sure I've I've read somewhere that uh, that they were they were maybe heading to heading down the route of of the revelation that the master was brother, the doctor's right. brother. I'm sure I've heard Barry let's talk about this. And I'm not sure how I ha- that was going to be the end of the mm, uh, Pertwee era mm. rather than planned despite as they were going to have a sort of Reichenbach falls type of thing because because there was always that um I suppose similarity between the doctor and the master and the uh, Sherlock Moriarty relationship so I think they were definitely going to do that for the end of the Pertwee era. See, I'm not sure whether I would have liked I think that might may have overegged the pudding. I I don't have a problem with it in in theory. And um, if you look at Last of the Time Lords, I know that Russell T. Davis toyed with the idea of throwing the mm. question up again then mm. too. And I, I kind of always assumed that the two characters are related. There's more to it than just being Gallifreyans or being Time Lords. There's, there's something we still don't know about that relationship. Definitely. And I think it started yes. all the way back in, in the 1970s. Well, I, did, I, I, I always see it. As they, they were the bright stars in their year at the, the Academy, maybe. And, and they were the two best hopes. Uh, and, and, and they both failed. Well, really. the Doctor no. didn't do very well. The Doctor didn't do very well, as Romana highlights, I think. And I can't remember <laughs> if that's the key to time season or another story. But um, yeah, It's the key to time season. He passed with, with 51% of the second attempt. A double gamma. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mary Tam 
does it so brilliantly. <laughs> but yeah, in, indeed, my my, I'm not really arguing with Trevor. As I said, I'm just giving you another alternative here, and I'm not even going to stay in the poetry era because I think that's just too difficult to. Uh, a choice to give you but I'm, I'm going to shoot ahead again um, to the fifth Doctor's era and, and offer the awakening uh, which I have to say is is probably one of my favourite fifth Doctor stories in one of my favourite seasons for that era of the show and um, again I'm, I, I know what Tom's going to say when he gets his uh, his say here but it's another two-parter so again it, it's something you can watch quite quickly and for me that's actually really good I like getting some uh, Doctor Who completely told and done within the hour and the three two-parters in, in Davison's run I, I, I really like but this one in particular because it's the only one that's really quite timey-wimey you have a complete hybrid of eras here I, I love Doctor Who stories where the past comes crushing into the future or vice versa and, and given the premise of the awakening it's all about war games to start with you really believe people are just trying to reenact something that's happened many many years ago and you slowly realize that there is a sci-fi element being drawn in here and that there is a an evil um, force at work and for me it's darn creepy. It's got churches. It's got graveyards. It's got this, you know, aliens being seen as ghosts. It's got one of the best guest characters, I think, in the Fifth Doctor's era. And again, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Trev, can you help me out here? Oh, um, you mean Will Chandler? Mm, yes, I do. Yes, I, I always forget the, the details of these things when I'm eulogising about the story. But yeah, it, it, he's one of a really, really good creations. And given that he's only in the story for essentially, you know, probably 35, 40 minutes in total, he had people at the time calling on him to join the TARDIS team you know people wanted to see him as, as as a companion I think it would have been difficult but as far as I'm concerned this is a unique story within the fifth doctor's era and it's it's a good choice it's a good choice to to, to to see a different kind of story told very, very well. I suppose leaving aside that whole two two part thing, um, I have have always found the awakening as a two part story with a four part story just daring to burst out of it. There, there are so many wonderful little elements in this that I think would have made it even better if it was a four part story. Uh, was it Tegan's uncle or was yeah, it, um, who's in in this? Well, I, I think that would have been a wonderful avenue to explore because we'd already been down the path with the Tegan character of um, exploring her family and just suddenly having an uncle in this story and then not really doing much with him apart from sit in a barn and talk for a couple of minutes um <laughs> it, it it just seemed like that they had a two-part slot but they only had this four-part story to fill it um i'm, I'm kind of with you james i i do enjoy the awakening but i think it would have benefited by having a few more things fleshed out and I, I think the main villain in it was a really interesting one uh but i think he also would have benefited by having just an episode or two more breathing room i think yeah maybe and originally it was supposed to be a four-part story and i i think there were problems with um, Eric Pringle's script therefore it had to be truncated um, I, I can't remember any more detail than that I'm afraid but it, but it also benefited hugely from um, a brand new director a very young director and that was Michael Owen Morris and he, he films his Doctor Who or his one contribution very very uniquely and I love the way for instance rather than set it in a purely historical environment which would have required the removal of a whole load of um, phone boxes or things along those lines that were, were contemporary at the time they just come up with a way of including them in a story. Story. Well, I must say, I'm very tempted. Um, 
technically this perhaps shouldn't be on the list because I will have seen this when I when I was a kid. The Davison era, from the start of the Davison era, was where I I was first introduced to the show. But I haven't seen it. I have no memory of it. Uh, no memory at the forefront of my mind. And I'm tempted with this one because I absolutely love it when when you go back and you watch something that you have no memory of, and then you discover that there are memories and they're locked at the back of your brain and they and they are reaccessed when you when you watch the DVD and it and it it, it will be um, it will just it'll be a cliffhanger or a certain sound or the way something is lit one of the soundscapes in the episode and it will just take you straight back to being eight years old uh, watching it uh, with your mum on the sofa so yeah, sorry the awakening only has one cliffhanger so you're going to be incredibly disappointed I'm afraid. <laughs> and i'm also interested is that's the reason why you want to go and watch it none of the ones that i suggested to you hmm. i'm not quite oh, out no. in the slightest <laughs> but also i'm i'm reassured by your your um, your positive appraisal <laughs> Well, it's it's all right. Considered, <laughs> oh, it's Mr. Web, it's Mr. Web Planet sitting quietly in the corner there. What you got? What you got? Not as good as the Web Planet. Yeah, that's my considered academic opinion right there. It's all right. So this this is this is funny because you very rarely get to hear Tom being negative about anything. Uh, it uh, is rare. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this this is quite a good vehicle to sort of draw out your your negativity, Tom. Please don't tell me you've got another story with insects in it. Well. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, Listen, you call yourself a Doctor Who fan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are certain stories every Doctor Who fan has to see. I know what's coming. By a certain point. So, you know, unfortunately there is no one um, at the moment who can claim to... Well, there are people alive, but none of us can see the Tenth Planet in its mm. entirety but we can watch the three episodes that, mm-hmm. that exist we can we can do what we have to and use our powers for evil on the internet we can see stories like uh, the war games we can watch Logopolis we can see the caves mm-hmm. of Androzani um, these are all pivotal stories in the history of mm-hmm. Doctor Who and so of course that you have not seen the planet of the spiders mm-hmm. might, might, might suggest that you actually need to disregard some of the fluff nonsense smoke and mirrors being being presented to you by my colleagues here and sit yourself down have a good hard talk to yourself go and get yourself a copy of the planet of the spiders which of course ends the iconic pertwee era and ushers in the beginning of the tom baker era how can you not have seen the first regeneration story in color how can you not have seen the first story one of the first stories to be regarded as true adult doctor who how can you not see if this wonderful amazing if i may be allowed just a moment just to justify this uh, and and when i type no you can't there is no justification how can you have not seen this story which exists, which is the first time that the word regeneration is used inside Doctor Who. And yes, listeners, that is the sound of me slapping my thighs. There is a, there is a perfectly thigh, reasonable it? and logical explanation, which, uh, which I'm sure uh, you'll be swayed by, Tom. Now, uh, as I've said... Yes, the, the reason is you're not really a Doctor Who fan and you cannot call yourself a Doctor Who fan until you have seen the story. <laughs> now, the reason, uh, as, as, I, <laughs> as I've said earlier, was, was that I came, I came late to Pertwee. Pertwee, uh, uh, the, the era of Doctor Who, was, it was completely fallow for me. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't harvested any of it. I think I'd seen the Demons when they re-released it on, uh, and they showed it on telly after they'd uh, cleaned it up and colourised it. Uh, but that was all I knew. So I had an opportunity here to come to an era and watch it sort of uh, as or as best as I could, sort of chronologically. Uh, so I certainly didn't want to skip to the end because most most of Doctor's eras, I'd seen, um, you know, I'd seen the tail end of their era. I knew I knew the regeneration. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd seen that bit, but I had an opportunity here to do it 
as chronologically as I could and get and now mm-hmm. now that I've done that and, and I've become a fan of the Pertwee and I, I'm, I'm invested in his character now I'm looking forward to coming to see the uh, the end of his reign and to see wow. the, his regeneration <laughs> you know in fairness it, to watch all of that season is, is the key to it um, as far as possible because what, what we have is in, that, in that season is we have the breakup of the unit family we have the slow departure of, of series regulars um, some just from the show and others very sadly from, from you know from 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 life, which is a very a great a very great shame, um, and it all kind of dovetails in the planet of the spiders. Anyone who's seen Legopolis knows there's a very funereal air about it. There's an element, an element of, uh, of of the Doctor being dragged down uh, rather than going out fighting. And but but in this story, Pertwee goes out like a hero. Um, there are some very seventies ideas in it, you know, this, this this idea of the um, the disintegration of the personality, this, um, the, the the mysticism. In fact, it could be argued that it's a bit like a pantomime walk down of all of Pertwee, of all of the tropes of Pertwee's era: the vehicles, the mysticism, the chases, the uh, the karate, the <laughs> all, all the gadgets, all of it. Um, but it's uh, we can never say this is how Legopolis should have been done. But the Third Doctor goes out like a hero. It's helpful. In, in, you know, in, in defence of the other stories that you met, that you're yet to experience, uh, it's helpful to have seen things like Inferno. It's helpful to have seen uh, to have seen some of the bigger stories like the Silurians. It's helpful to have seen things like the Green Death. Um, but if you've if you've absorbed all of those, if you've enjoyed all of those, to, to then go in and see the uh, the Planet of the Spiders, which is, as I say, the old man dying, and the new, uh, to quote this, to quote the show, the old man dying, and the new man uh, realizing his inexpressible joy that he's never existed before. It's 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 a great story. So you're saying in in, hol- in holding off uh, um, watching this, uh, you know, uh, at the risk of, of absolutely trashing my reputation in fandom, I've done the right thing. You have. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I I myself had not seen this until quite recently. So you know, that, that's why I, I cussed myself because when I, what, but what, what, so when I did actually. Oh, Tom, Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. <laughs> Tom, Tom, Tom. I've I've been sitting here for the last couple of minutes. Just absolutely reveling in your spot-on description of Planet of the Spiders. It is one of the finest, if not the finest, Pertwee episode of all time. No question about that whatsoever. What I've been also loving is that you're playing right into my hands as as far as this competition is concerned. It is, you should see that story, Leeson, for every single reason Tom has said. It's the end of an era. It's the end of the Pertwee Doctor. It's the end of, I, I suppose, really, it's the end of the unit family. Re- the, the the real unit family. That's the reason why you need to see my choice <laughs> before his choice. He's kind of right as well. <laughs> because I think you are you are in the unique position of being able to gobble up all the other Pertwee stories first before then getting served Planet of Spiders and going, oh yes, that's it. So Tom is playing right into my hands. You need to see Mind of Evil first. You need to see all of the Pertwee year first before you experience the majesty of Planet of Spiders. So, so what you're getting here, Leeson, is that you, you've got two people here, my, my esteemed colleagues. And yes, I, I, I like calling them esteemed because I do agree with most of what they say here. But they're suggesting that you watch 12 episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> um, whereas if you go for my choice, you've got you haven't got all of this oodles and oodles of continuity here that you need to watch you can just watch a rollicking good story be done with it within 50 minutes and then you can start on the interminable essay uh, that is john pertwee that tom and trevor have talked about so wonderfully but surely james it's not about episode length is it (laughs) 
Oh, yes. Neeson did mention a very good point, and it's one that I've mentioned many, many times. It really doesn't matter how long an episode of Doctor Who is. I mean, what, what I'm what I'm doing is I'm not trying to force an argument, guys. I, I think you are both correct, and those two stories, I think, uh, you know, they should be very, very high up your list, Leeson, of um, of stories to see. But you know, I know how busy you are. You see, that's why I focused on the speed elements because you do such an important job for us. You know, and it's something that you just need to slot in when it's convenient, not two and a half hour behemoths, however brilliant they are. Do you realise, rather than actually uh, recording this podcast today, you could have watched The Awakening by now? Right, it's about time I I draw this to a close. I think. Uh, Mind of Evil, I, for all the reasons Trev espoused, I, it is very tempting. Um, the fact that it's not available on VHS, uh, on um, DVD, <laughs> uh, is going to rule it out, I think, because I like to come to them now in their polished, cleaned-up forms. So I've tried to go back to watch some of my old uh, VHSs, and it's, it's not the same experience. It, it, technology has moved on, and you can enjoy Doctor Who in such quality now. You call yourself a Doctor Who fan, Lisa, and I Absolutely. tell you, you've never had it so good. You're old enough to know what it was like back Absolutely. in the 80s and 90s when we were copying Betamax tapes, and we were grateful that someone in the US was sending us a fourth-generation omnibus copy of Keys of Marinus. We were but down now- our hands and knees praising the Lord to even get something that looked like... Billy Hartnell on screen. And now you're going, oh, I don't think I'll watch Mind of Evil because it's not in 1080p high-D resolution with a 5.1 soundtrack. That's not a reason. It's it's the same same reason that I'm going to be watching it on my large television and not a postage stamp in the corner of the room. Um, you know, things have moved on. <laughs> Look, when, when do I get to shout at Leeson? Tom has now, Trevor has. I, I really feel left out. Trevor remembers the days, of course, when he had to get up before he'd gone to bed and was beaten to death before being brought back to life to go and walk 40 miles in his bare feet, bare stumpy feet, to go and look at a picture of a Doctor Who episode that was maybe being thought about and was being depicted in 8-bit colour on a ZX Spectrum. Hey, that were nothing. When I were a kid, we used to have to sit and watch the tripods constantly, all day, every day, until the dad took us to bed. And then we got up in the morning and we watch the tripods again. <laughs> and even then, it were only picture. We actually had the soundtrack of Blake Seven going backward. Ah, in French. I like the tripods. <laughs> <laughs> So on to The Awakening, which I was very tempted with. I like the idea of being able to slot uh, Doctor Who into a tiny little... Oh, into the slots of time that I have. Um, and the fact that it might reawaken uh, my childhood memories. But I think I'm going to hold off on that one, because that would be the last one that would awaken any childhood memories. Uh, uh, no pun intended. Um, so it's got to be Planet of the Spiders. I think I have, I have, I've invested enough into the Third Doctor now. I uh, I have built up a relationship with him that I think the uh, the emotional payoff uh, will be there for me already. So it's Planet of the Spiders, guys. I'd love to be magnanimous, but your arguments were pathetic, and I'm clearly superior. <laughs> Lisa, I'm 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 sure the only reason you've chosen Tom's is so it wasn't too embarrassing or too obvious that um, but that mine was the superior argument for Mind of Evil. It's 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 okay. You and I can have that little 
wink and a nod between us and realise what the real truth is. And I quite understand that you want to leave the best till last as well. Hence the reason you chose neither of mine. So in a way, we're all winners. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> well, Lisa, we've got one final question, really, uh, to round off this show. Which of the two, Keys of Marinus or Planet of the Spiders, are you going to watch first? It will have to be... Planet of the Spiders, I think. The time is nigh. I'm excited. Well, perhaps in a couple of episodes' time, we can spend a few minutes talking about what you thought of it and whether or not you would like to choose somebody else's suggestion in the future. Absolutely. Okay, well, having finally set Leeson on the road to fame and fortune and to earning his stripes as being a Doctor Who fan, <laughs> um, it's, it seems that it is time for us to say goodbye. I must say, it's been a lovely episode. Uh, in fact, the last couple of episodes have been quite good fun. Um, and as a direct result of the amount of fun that we've had making the last few episodes, there's an awful lot of feedback for James and Leeson to be going through in DWP episode 152. So, um, as the sun sets slowly in the west, at least in part of the world uh, it's time for us to say goodbye and to hope you enjoyed this particular show and to invite you along to participating in the next episode cheerio bye for now everybody bye that was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com if you have any feedback please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com you can also find us on twitter Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.